Three words can change love you. Uh, but I know what you're thinking, maybe you're thinking that's when, you know, you know with, with my wife Robin. Actually, there's a story behind that one that I want to tell here this morning. Three words did change my life, and it was I love you. But you see, my wife and I, well, she wasn't my wife then, we had been dating for a couple weeks, and she decided that she was going to send me a mixtape. Now, kids, I need to explain to you what a mixtape is. A mixtape was like a VHS, but smaller. Wait, you have no idea what a VHS tape is either. A mixtape is this thing, and it's about, well, it's about that big. But it wasn't a phone. It didn't have any apps. It didn't have a touch screen. It, it didn't really do anything except play about 60 minutes of music. Who here made some amazing mixtape back in the day? Oh, my people, that's right. I mean, there was an art. There's a lost art to the mixtape that we need to revive. I mean, there was, I mean, when you just timed it down to like the second and the pauses and the, and remember getting on the, like you'd listen, you'd call into the radio station for your song and then you'd be like standing there with record. I'm, I'm, I might as well be talking about starting fires with like Flintstones to kids today. It's like, what are you? Anyways, she made me a mixtape. And on this mixtape, she just, she had a little letter and she said, just listen. I think that was the only words that were like on the note. And I put in the mixtape and I hit play and a song by Harry Connick Jr. began. And the title of that song was, It's Time to Admit You Love Me. Can you believe the, how audacious, there she is right there. I mean, how audacious could this woman be? It's time to admit you love me. Oh, she had me pegged though. So, but the awesome thing is, I think I just got in my car. I just like drove all the way down to Pittsburgh. And here's the great, here's the best part of that story. I got to say it first then. I got to be the first one to say, you know what, Robin? I love you. And guess what else? I said it first. You can never take that away from me. I said it first. I own that forever now. I love you. Three words. Three words can change your life, right? Three words will change it. Three words can change your life for the good. Three words can change your life for the bad. But we believe that three words change everything. Three words change the world. Three Worlds and death is under three words change everything. And you, if you've been paying attention at all, friends, you know what they are. Will you say them with me? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Give me some applause for Jesus. He is risen indeed. Amen. By the way, you can sit passively or you can engage. That is why I'm here. I want to engage with you, my people. Three words change everything. He is risen. Three words, my friends, three words, and the prisoner is set free. Three words, and the blind can see. Three words, and the lost are found. Three words, and the prisoner is unbound. Three words, and all the promises of the old covenant are fulfilled. Three words, and the promise of Jesus's new life is sealed. Three words, and angels shout Three words and the devil was cast out, my friends. Three words and victory was won. Three words and the stone was rolled away. Three words on that glorious day, friends. Say it with me. He is risen. Friends, that is why we're here. We are here because he is risen. And when I say he is risen, my friends, it's not just, it's not just a metaphor. It's not just 
his memory is risen. It's not just the mantle of his mission was risen by people who, who, who carried it on. We mean he is risen. His body rose from the dead. He was alive. His body breathing, his blood coursing, his muscles contracting, his synapses firing, his eyes seeing, ears hearing, mouth tasting, body feeling, his body was risen, his body was alive, not just alive, not just alive, resurrected and brought back to life, a resurrection life, an abundant life that he offers to us, and that is why we gather here to celebrate him, because he is risen, not for ritual or religion, not for some idea or ideology, not for some philosophy or for philanthropy. We are here because his body is risen. That is why we are here. And when I say we, I don't just mean you and me. I mean we, the body of Christ, is gathering today to celebrate his resurrection life that stretches back some 2,000 years and will stretch forward until he comes again. It will stretch as far as the east is from the west. It will stretch to all the corners of the world. We, the people of God, will gather and celebrate that he is risen. Is anybody getting excited now? I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. I, I don't know if I can do any better than this, people, so I hope you're getting excited he is right now. I know some people, you like things to be done in good order, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean we, have to, we have to be proper in worship. So let's make sure we do things in good order before we go any further into this celebration of his resurrection. You're going to help me out now here, friends. I think we need a call to worship. Wait a second. I know one. I think it's three words. Say it with me, friends. He is risen. I think we need a reason. Indeed, amen, sister. I think we need a call to confession. I know three words that might get us there. Friends, he is risen. I need the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins. You know, it's promised to me in three words. He is risen. Why don't we read the scripture here this morning? Wait a second. I think you might have it memorized already. It's in Matthew 26, verse 6. It's in Mark 16, verse 6. And it's in Luke 24, verse 6. Yes, they're all sixes. They made it easy for us. You know it already. Say it with me. He is risen. You want to preach today? Who here wants to preach today? Yeah, somebody, somebody preach to me. Somebody say it to me. Somebody say it to me. He, he, oh, you say, hallelujah, you sound good. That's a, that's a message I can remember. That's a message that means something to me. That's a message that's changing my life. I hope it's a message that is changing your life. I hope it's a message that's already changed and is still changing your life. Because that is the message that makes all the difference, my friends. That was just the introduction. You, you, ready for the, you, re, you ready for the message now? All right, all right, let's get into it. We are going to go to the story of Jesus told by the beloved disciple named John. Let's pick it up right in verse 20. He tells us this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter 
and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He's telling the story, so you got to love how he's like, yeah, the way I recall it, I'm faster than him. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And if you know Peter, that is so Peter, isn't it? I mean, he is Peter right until the day of resurrection. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I do not know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. And cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. There's an old hymn that asks us the question, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? That's a good one. Chris, maybe we should have done that one. That's a good one. We were here. Some of us gathered here on Friday night. We were here when they took Jesus and they arrested him. When they betrayed him. We were here when they put him on a mock trial. We were here when they falsely convicted him guilty. We were here when they handed him over to the Roman Empire. So that they could manipulate the system for him to be tortured. To be beaten. To be hung on a cross. And to die. We were here and we were there when... Jesus died. We were here when the word, one who had the words of life gave up his life. We were here when the one who had the power to heal, the power to set the captives free, the, the power to give sight to the blind when he lost his sight, when he lost his breath, when he lost his life. We were here when God died. We were here when hope died. We were here when it seemed that all was lost and the devil had won. We were here. But friends, we are now here to celebrate the victory won. The devil may have won the battle, but God is about to win the war. The war over sin, the war over death, the war over brokenness, the war that is being waged in our lives, the war is about to be won because Jesus Christ is risen. But the only problem still was that nobody knew. Nobody knew. If we go back to that night, it was a bit of a rush job. Almost everybody had abandoned the disciples, but two men, Nicodemus, who we have a famous interaction earlier in John's gospel, and Joseph of Arimathea, out of love for the one that they believed in so deeply, though they think all is lost, they take the body, 
and they prepare it for burial. But they had to do it before sundown. They had to do it before Sabbath was going to begin. So they had to do a rush job. So the women decide that they need to go and make sure things were done right. I got, I got, I got to say this as well. You got to hand it to the women. We often say that you know everybody abandoned Jesus. Not everybody. The disciple that Jesus loved, he was there. Some of his followers, he was there. And the women were there. The women were there. And the women, you got to love the women. Like, we, 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 we appreciate what you did, Nick. We appreciate what you did, Joe. But no offense, but we got to make sure it's done right. <laughs> we got we, we to make sure Jesus is honored, even as though we're devastated by his death. So Mary rises early and goes to the tomb. There she finds that the stone has been rolled away, even though she was wondering who was going to roll away the stone, how are we going to even get in, and the body is missing. So she runs back to tell the disciples, Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved come running, and we have this great little sort of you know, story of John outruns Peter, but Peter's there first, and he impetuously jumps in. And what they find, what they discover here, is not a robbery. It is not chaos. It is not discord. The, something scared off the guards. The, the, the tombstone has been carefully rolled away and set in its place. And then they go into the tomb and they find that it, it is not disorder. Again, not chaos. It is the scene of, of, of order, which is the sign that reorder is coming. Right, friends? reorder, the reordering of the universe, the reordering of the very very fabric of the universe, the reordering of death itself is being re-knit together to bring resurrection life. They see this scene of order, a sign of what is coming, friends, a sign of the new order, the new world order, the new people of God sharing his life and his love, and it's about to begin. They see this scene, and it says they believed. And then they went back. <laughs> they believed, but they didn't know what to do with that belief yet. It was still sinking in. They were still soaking it up. I have to imagine just the, 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 it's overwhelming, just overwhelming, trying to piece it back together. What happened? What was happening? What was going to happen? They returned, but, but Mary stayed behind. Mary, in her grief, stays behind. And as she is there crying, angels appear. She is so distraught, she doesn't even recognize she's in the presence of angelic beings. And they ask, woman, why are you crying? And she, she goes into, you know, re revealing her grief. They've taken, you know, my Savior away. The body is missing. Can you have... She has no idea what she's standing in the midst of. So then Jesus himself appears behind her, and he says to her, Woman, why are you crying? But then he adds another thing. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Let's just sit on that question for a little bit this Easter morning, okay, friends? Who are you looking for? I got to ask some parents in the house here today. Have any of you ever lost your kid? Any parents in the house ever lost your kid? Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Have you ever lost your kid? Okay, if, you are, if you're a parent and your hand isn't raised, guess what? You're a helicopter parent and you're driving your kids crazy. Every good parent should lose their kid. I mean, 
like regularly. I mean, it should be like a consistent thing that you just misplace your kids. I mean, my kids are, you know, teenagers, practically a, a adults now, and I spent most of my parenting years just, you know, where are my kids at? I don't know. I mean, I had no idea where they're at most of the time. And they turned out pretty darn good, I might add. I mean, so, in fact, Losing my kids became such a regular practice that I actually began doing this. Can we, can we pull that picture up there? So that's my son. Isn't he adorable? He's about four years old. And I just got in the habit here. If you can read his belly, it says, if lost, call. And I have my old phone number there. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I got that call. I mean, this is like a weekly thing for me. People would call up and they'd be like, uh, we have a kid here. And uh, like, like, you want to come pick him up? And I'd just be like, hey, he found his way there. He can find his way back. I mean, just send him out, you know, retrace his steps. He's going to build character. I mean, no, I didn't. It wasn't quite that bad. But I have a cousin who has a four-year-old. They've been walking him to school regularly. And then the one day they get him ready for school, I guess, and then maybe they go to have another cup of coffee and do something as parents do. Parents have a lot to do. And they look around, and he was gone. He was gone. And then they're frantic. They're going crazy. And then they get a call from the school, uh, your kid's here. He just walked here by himself. Now you're on the, like, the red flag list. But they had that moment, as you have had as I have had, as we all who have lost something precious, something near, something dear, something that means more to us than our own life, and we think that it is lost and gone forever. Panic sets in. Fear sets in. Grief sets in. It is overwhelming. Mary is overwhelmed at the grief of her lost who are you looking for? It is the question of our lives. Now, some people, they will switch the who for the what. They will think, maybe if I can find what it is I'm looking for, maybe I will find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, joy in my life. And so we go after some of the what's of life. Maybe we go after the degree that we think will give us the identity that we've always wanted. Maybe we go after the job that we think that it will fulfill all my wildest dreams. Maybe we're going after some number in our bank account that we think, ah, I'll finally be secure if it only finally hits three zeros. Some people are that poor, you know? So, I mean, I mean so maybe if I just do this thing, then I'll find what it is that is missing and lost from my life. You can't blame people for that. Things can be predictable. Things tend to be more reliable, right? But I'm going to offer a prediction that I think will be quite reliable. No thing will fulfill your deepest search for meaning and purpose in life. No thing that you fill the void with will ever ultimately satisfy. Nothing wrong with a degree, go after it. Nothing wrong with a job, do something with your life. Nothing wrong with making money, be generous, be awesome with it. Nothing wrong with it, but it lacks what it takes to give us what we long for most in our lives. So some people, they get a little closer to the right path, they look for that someone, that certain special someone to fulfill them. Maybe it was a missing or lost or estranged parent or sibling. 
Maybe it's just that boyfriend. Maybe it's just that girlfriend. Maybe it's that one that you can finally say, I do to, and you know they are going to say, I do back to you. And you think, then they will complete me. But then comes the day when you are sitting across the table and you're drinking your coffee and checking your phone for whatever it is you want to check for, and you look and you realize, hmm, you don't complete me. Nothing wrong with you. You're awesome. I hope, I hope, I hope the people in your life, I hope you're surrounded with awesome people. I hope you have awesome relationship with your family, with friends, with your spouse. I hope and pray for that. I pray you work deeply on that, but it will always leave us lacking if we try to impose on them completion. It's just too much of a burden to bear on any one person. It does you no good, and it doesn't do them any value either. It's too much to impose meaning, purpose, salvation, life on another person. Too much. You won't find it there. Mary knows there is only one. There is only one. And what I love about what unfolds now in the story is after she doesn't understand yet what is happening, she goes back into her, 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 her sort of this, you know, script that she's been calling out. They've taken my Savior away. If, if you've moved the body, you know, tell me where you've put him and, and, and I'll take care of him. And Jesus just says one thing. In fact, he just says actually one, one word. And what I love about this word, what I love about what happens here is, you know, he doesn't say so many things that he could have said. He could have said, I does I, the great I am, I am back from the grave. And it would have been true. You know, he could have said, I who hold the keys of life and death have now secured victory from the depths of hell. And I, he could have said that. It was true. He could have said, I am the great I am, the Lord of life, the author and giver of all that you ever. I mean, he could have said any of that, right? He could have made it about him. It is all about him. But it's kind of crazy. What does he say? What he says is all about her, actually. Actually, just one word. Mary. When Jesus was with his disciples, he told a story. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep. And he calls them by name. And then he said, and the sheep know the good shepherd because they recognize his voice. My friends, this morning, one word, not even three, one word can change your life. And I believe the word is your own name being called out by the one that you are looking for, the one that you have longed for, the one that you were made by, the one that you were made for, the one that created you, the one that is calling you, the one that can save you, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe, friends, I believe that if you are listening if you have ears to hear and hearts to believe, he is calling your name today, friends. He is calling your name.
He is calling it in the whisper of His Spirit in love to you. He is calling it out in the songs that we sing to glorify Him. He is calling it out when we bow our heads in prayer and still our hearts and quiet our minds and seek to connect with Him. He is calling it out to us in the promises of His Word given in His resurrection. He is calling out to each and every one of His children's friends. He is calling out your name. The question remains, do you recognize his voice? Do you recognize the voice of your Savior calling to you? Do you recognize the voice of Lord Jesus Christ calling out to you? I pray that this morning you will hear him and you will receive him. He said one other thing about himself then. He said one other thing that is so important that makes all the difference. He said the good shepherd is calling his sheep by name and his sheep recognize his voice. And the sheep trust him and they follow him and he leads them out because the good shepherd is the one willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And that is exactly what Jesus did on Good Friday. He laid down his life for his sheep. He laid down his life so that we might be alive in him. He laid down his life so he could win victory over death for us. He laid down his life to conquer sin so that we could be set free. He laid down his life because no greater love is known than this than one person lay down his life for another. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Amen, friends. He has laid down his life. He has raised up anew. And he is calling to you. He is calling to each and every one of us. By our names. Listen. Listen for him. Calling to you today. I invite the band to come forward. And they're going to lead us in some rousing worship. Because we have to celebrate this life that we have in him. Won't you bow your heads please. And will you pray with me. And this is the, one of those prayers that maybe you've prayed it a hundred times. Great! <laughs> God really likes prayer, by the way. I'll also say this about prayer. Two prayers I know for a fact that God always hears and receives. Thank you. He always likes thank you. And he also always hears forgive me. He always hears forgive me and receive me and give me life. So why don't we pray, friends? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks on this Easter morning, knowing in full assurance and confidence that you are risen. You are risen indeed, and in you there is life forever, and you are offering that life as a gift for us in this morning, whether we've, maybe we've prayed it a, a hundred times, and, and maybe we'll first we'll just pray for this crowd. Lord, we receive it again. We receive it each and every morning. We receive it each and every day as the fresh new life of your spirit coming into us. We call you Savior. We declare you Lord. We give our lives to you afresh this Easter morning. But maybe if there's nobody here who's ever made that step of faith, maybe they are hearing their name being whispered in the stillness of your house this morning. Maybe they hear their name being whispered in the songs that we've sung, in these prayers that we've lifted up in the, in, in the preaching and proclamation of your word, we are hearing our name whispered, calling to us. We recognize your call now, Jesus, and we come to you. We come to you now and we declare you Savior, 
Save us. We declare you, Lord. We now live for the life that you have given to us. We thank you, Jesus. We lay it all down before you, confessing our sins, knowing we have the full assurance of forgiveness, rising up to this new resurrection life that we have only and evermore in you, Jesus, the risen one. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen, friends. Let's worship.